So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. What's going on, everyone? I've uh, got my longtime friend. Uh, I guess you'd be entrepreneur, designer, and many other things. Uh, tech wizard and geek on Aeroflight, broadheads, and everything archery. Of Bill Vander Hayden with Iron Will. What's happening, man? Hey, Aaron. Good to see you. How you doing? Good, good. I'm uh, finally getting over a cold. Well, I've had multiple. My uh, my immune system looks like Rocky after he fought. Uh, the Russian. I um, was a little bit sick at Western. Felt better. Got sick again. To get guiding. Got better again. And then went and we had several clients come down. And then uh, the last guy uh, or TV show, uh, Joe Appel, he's with uh, The Edge TV from Canada. His cameraman was sick, so he gave me his funk. I'm finally getting over all of that. But uh, what about you? Did you get the, uh, the show bug um, this year going to all the shows or... No, I managed to avoid it somehow. Um, last year, I think it was, I got COVID coming out of ATA, and so did a lot of people I knew. But uh, no, this year I've managed to, I'm not going to live here, managed to stay healthy <laughs> through all these shows. Uh, well, that's good. So I don't know. Uh, we didn't really prep for this at all. I know what we want to talk about, but uh, do you want to kind of dive right into what you have coming up? Um, you know, the. Um, we're doing this podcast before the release. I, I was lucky enough. I've been able to screw around with uh, the new arrow system and veins that, that uh, Bill's coming out with early. But you want to kind of go over everything you've got going on? Yeah, I've been working on this project for, man, about two years now. Really, um, you know, my, my thinking is that everybody ought to be able to get fixed blade broadheads to fly well for them, really, if their bow is is just relatively well tuned and they have the right arrow set up and a lot of people you know that's one of the main questions we get through our tech support is um you know people want help with their arrow setup so i've um i've been studying this um, extensively for a couple of years um and then this year i actually sponsored a project um i've been a adjunct instructor with the university of colorado for several years and this year i'm um both sponsoring, Iron Will is sponsoring a project and I'm the faculty director on a project, but we're studying, you know, improved arrow vein for bow hunting. So really looking at when you have a broadhead on the front of the arrow and, you know, the arrow flight is different when there's a broadhead versus a field point, you know, what, what do you need to do to have, a, you know, very accurate arrow, very stable arrow. Um, so that's been about a year long project. We've been looking at um, seven of the top hunting veins really on the market today and as well as some some new designs there so um and i can go into all the different testing we did but it's it's uh you know there's there's computer modeling there's empirical testing and i you know i'd like to kind of speak about all of it but it really kind of culminated in we're coming out with a with an arrow um a fletched arrow and either you can buy them in full length shafts or custom built for you, really custom machine for you. Um, and we're, you know, we're launching it, I guess the day this podcast comes out, you'll, you'll be able to see them. And I've been working with Easton on this also for about two years to get 
a machine fletched um, to do the machine to do to do the attach the veins with the machine. So it's very precisely three degree helical. They're all the same. It's consistent. You know, I think that's been a problem out there for many people is the guys that don't want to don't care to or, or don't feel they're very good at fletching their own shafts. Um, if they've just bought a, a factory fletched arrow, it's been a zero to one degree and there's really not enough rotation in there. Um, you know, and their local pro shop, you know, may or may not fletch at a different angle for them. And each time they go there, they might get it at a different angle. So it's another thing I wanted is, um, you know, we're using the vein that's tested the best through our testing here, which is actually, it's a new, new vein. It's the, um, iron wheel hybrid hunter vein. So it's the, if you're familiar with the max hunter, it's, it's using the hybrid material. So it bonds well, it has a little different stiffness, a little lighter and has some improved properties because of that. But I've been working with Easton to machine fletch those on the axis, five millimeter axis shafts. And, um, that's what we're going to be offering here soon. So to kind of rewind from like top to bottom, um, the the system that you're offering is a you know an Easton five millimeter axis cut squared um, built obviously with your whatever specs that you send out and then the the vein and I'll I'll kind of rewind this because like if you look at like my wife's uh, arrows for example she has uh, the Max Hunters on her arrows for the most part. Um, I'm lazy and I've made that very clear on the prep pin and all that stuff. I'm not really a big fan of having to do all that. And so I always shot the, the 2.6 or, or one of the versions of the hybrids and the hybrids more of a lick and stick. So what Bill did is took the Max Hunter profile and made it out of the hybrid material, simplifying this so people understand. So you don't have to prep it. And then what he worked with Easton on was um, machine fletching that. So it's not done with like a Bitsenberger or a Minimax, Arizona Minimax or a Last Chance like Veinmaster. It's done by a machine, which is more accurate. Uh, and then you put a slight amount of offset, um, well, three degree offset and helical. And it's a little bit higher profile and shorter vein of what is what the Max Hunter is. I'll say from like you know, overall, all testing, when you go noise, flight, and everything else, um, you know, f from what I found, what you picked um, would certainly be in, the, in one of my top two favorites. The problem I ran into with the really high-profile, shorter veins, especially if you ran four fletches, uh, they're loud. Um, when I look at something like a, a Blazer or the 1.75 um, hybrid, they just, they make a little bit more noise and I wasn't overly, it just wasn't worth it with the noise where that Max Hunter is a relatively quiet system as well. Uh, and stability with what you did is, is really good. The other day I was shooting, um, I didn't, people picked up on it. So I kind of screwed you on that one. I didn't go into great depth, but people could see it said iron will, and it was a Iron Will Fane. Uh, but I was shooting out to 110 and fairly decent wind and uh, I was wading through snow. But you do both shooting and, you know, you're doing it on the lab side and the shooting side. I don't have a lab, so I'm rednecking it with shooting, meaning shooting out of my garage and crosswinds. Talk a little bit more about that vein and the offset helical, why you came up with that, uh, you know, noise wise, stability, all that stuff. 
Yeah, so last, um, really a year, year and a half ago, I did a lot of, a little bit more redneck testing. You know, it wasn't in the lab. It was just me shooting into uh, targets with, with a number of these veins, um, looking at accuracy with broadheads, and then putting my bow a little bit out of tune and seeing, and then shooting field points versus our standard, like S100, S125 head versus our wide solid. And then looking to see how close with the bow slightly out of tune and the arrow fishtailing a little bit, say tail right, how close do they hit to um, two field points? And, you know, you can see a difference there with our wide solid. It's less forgiving. So if things aren't, aren't perfect, it's going to, it's going to be off a bit more. So, I mean, I, I liked the, um, I saw that this, this max hunter was doing well. I got prototypes of the hybrid hunter tested those. Those are doing really well. And then I decided, Hey, this is, I think we could do a, a much more extensive study of this and really have some great information. And that's when I contacted the university, get the project approved. And really what we're trying to do there is, um, is, is make kind of analytical with empirical. And so analytical means it's all like a computer model. It's all like, you know, formulas and calculations is the analytical side. Then the empirical side is then when we go, we go test, um, with a setup, a lot of instrumentation and measure it all and then verify, you know, the model's accurate and then we kind of use the model to predict what's going to be better and steer us in the right way with the design. So I'd say this is the, this has got to be the most extensive fluid dynamic modeling. I think that's ever been done on, on arrow, um, certainly a hunting arrow. So we've got, you know, we've got a 3d solid model that has the whole arrow shaft, the broadhead, the iron broadheads on it. Um, all the different, we've modeled all the different veins. They're modeled, you know, at the three degree helical wrapped around a shaft, which, you know, I've done, I've done modeling in the past, but it was just, just the broad head and kind of straight line flow, um, or the vein kind of straight with the flow over it, kind of looking at drag sound, things like that. But this one is really, uh, extensive in that we've got, you know, the vein at this angle wrapped around it. We're also looking at airflow as the arrow's rotating through it. So what's, what's happening at the broadhead, what's happening at the vein. Um, and we, you know, we have all the resources of the university. We have the, you know, the professors that specialize in this computational fluid dynamic modeling, give an input to make a more accurate model. So, you know, the things we're getting from the model are, you know, how much drag we're going to get. So how's the, how's the long range velocity and drop going to be? Um, we're getting the stability. So if this, when this arrow say, say comes out of your bow and it's tail, right, you know, at five degrees, we're actually modeling that and looking at the restoring force or the restoring torque of these different veins is like, how quickly does that work right back in line? And that's a that's a big indication of how accurate it's going to be, or how you know how forgiving if you torque your bow a little bit or your bow's a little out of tune. What we've seen is with the right vein, it quickly pulls it back, and so it's going straight again. It has kind of a minimal, you know, delta there. Um, we're also yeah. Go ahead if you got a question. No, no, I just I keep digging through my notes here. Go ahead and finish, and when you're done, I'm just. The way my brain works, dude, I'll forget what I was going to ask you. So I got to kind of highlight it. If I look like I'm thinking it's because I am, because I'm kind of building up my questions after you do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're looking at, at, at spin up, like how quickly does it spin up? What's the, the top kind of velocity or, or RPM revolution per second, really, that the arrow is going to get to with these different veins? Um, 
And we can do some sound modeling too. We can look at the, the airflow over it, where the high pressure, low pressure, and then kind of what, you know, what acoustics are going to be coming off there and then what features on the vein are maybe making them quiet or loud. And so, and that's kind of pointed to um, how we can improve things there. Um, you know, as we get the airflow over it, you can see where the, the pressure is on the vein, the high pressure, low pressure spot. So it gives a clue of, okay, this one has a lot better restoring force or restoring torque to bring it back online. And we understand why, because we have, we can see kind of in the model where the pressure is on that vein. So um, very extensive computer model. And then we're going and doing this empirical testing where we've got, we've got the Hooter shooter and the bow set up. We have um, phantom high speed camera looking at the arrow coming off of the bow, you know, how quickly it it's spinning up, how quickly it's kind of restoring. If we take it out of tune, um, what's the max rotational velocity it gets up to with that high speed camera. Um, we have a lab radar, so we're measuring the velocity, you know, as it drops going out there. So uh, let's talk about the lab radar, because that one I want to make sure what people understand, because um, I skip a lot of this because I don't want to confuse people when I'm I'm talking about parachuting, and I just kind of give the end result, and I don't talk about the middle. The lab radar is a basically a chronograph-type system that will tell you the parachute or the resistance or drop or whatever so you can shoot four different types of veins on the same arrow and that lab radar is going to tell you your velocity or the difference of each arrow's velocity at all the distances throughout um you might explain that a little better than i just did but it's an eye-opener for sure when you use one because you think you've learned uh what's best and then all of a sudden you realize that one vein configuration could have a seven foot per second difference to another at 70 yards just from the vein configuration alone. So do you talk a little bit more about that lab radar? Cause that's something I don't think a lot of people understand what that offers or gives you. Yeah. You know, you can, you can kind of do that by just shooting long range. It's a uh, horizontal line on your target and seeing how much drop you get. But this really kind of takes out the human error. Um, so you can get very accurately what the speed is. It's, it's, it's um, using a, you know, laser Doppler vibrometer technology. So similar to what you use, you know, a cop car uses to get your speed in your car. But um, so we can very accurately see the velocity of the arrow and then how much it drops with with one vein versus another vein. Um, and so we can, from that, we can just kind of calculate what's, what's the drop difference going to be in these different veins. And, you know, what I should say is that, I don't know if a lot of people think about, you know, what, what do you want to, what's the ideal thing you want in a vein? What's the job of the arrow vein? And, and it's really what you want is, um, you know, kind of minimize drag and people kind of get drag confused with stability. They don't like think, well, you need a lot of drag to be stable. Well, you know, drag is like in line. If the arrow is just going straight in line, how much, how much force is there then it's slowing it down. So you actually kind of want to minimize drag, but you want to kind of maximize the stabilizing torque. So if that arrow does tip a little bit from straight, you know, say it tips at five degrees, you want to have a lot of, um, you know, force pushing it back or torque bringing it back quickly. Um, and, th and then you want, kind of want to minimize uh, sound. You don't want it to be any louder than it needs to be out there. Um, to me, you also kind of want to minimize, um, you want to minimize, minimize weight. You don't really want more weight at the back of the arrow. There's really nothing, nothing good 
from that. Um, I'm not an extreme FOC guy, but increasing FOC gives you better stability. Um, having more mass at the back doesn't really help you at all, you know, on impact, say if your arrow's not perfectly straight. So, you know, not adding any more weight back that they need to. So we're, we're kind of looking at all these factors in the vein design. Um, but yeah, the lab radar works great for seeing, okay, this vein spins up quickly, but it just slows it down too much and it just starts dropping off. That's what we want to make sure we're not, we're not doing here. So the, um, the redneck way to do some of this, obviously Bill talked about, you just draw a horizontal line and I'm shooting out of my garage and I shoot multiple, Bill, you'll laugh. You ever come to the garage probably looks like yours. I've got 4,000 arrows of different fletching configurations and broadheads and everything else is okay. First you shoot, you see what's grouping the best then you see what has the most drag. And again, what, what's, you know, has the most stability or correction noise, things like that. And, you know, with all the different veins um, that I've tried, and I, I, this is one of the things I didn't want to forget. I want to see what your top five vein profiles were or veins on the market because I see if it's close to what I have found. Uh, inherently or, or inevitably, one of those systems may steer your arrow fairly well but could be really loud. Or it may steer your arrow really well but ha has a lot of drop. Um and w when you start screwing around with this, and I answered, I answered this several times yesterday on my Q and A. Um, would you choose arrow stability over noise, or would you choose a quieter arrow over stability? And my answer always is, look, there's, you don't, you know, it's not one of those deals. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can get a vein configuration that is stable and quieter. That's been my experience if you if you screw around enough the the problem that i think is some of it is is money right people don't have the money to f mess around with the stuff that you and i do and then when i say that it's not like you and i are or millionaires but i mean i'm in a position i get a lot of stuff for free i don't mind spending some money for testing but you get a guy that goes to the archery range and has no idea what he wants or goes to order arrows it is very confusing on what to get yeah there's a lot of mixed I mean, everybody claims their vein is perfect out there, right? And uh, and everybody has an opinion and there's not a lot of science on it. So it's, you know, it's, I struggle with that myself, you know, looking at these different veins that come on and, and how well they do. Um, you know, the veins included in this testing were um, Blazer Veins, Max Hunters, Max Stealth, Hybrid 2-3, uh, Attack Veins, Silent Knight, and uh, Super Saver Veins. So, these are all ones that, you know, um, are fairly highly used out there for hunting arrow setups and, you know, all claim, a lot, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, like them in general. So I tried to use ones that were, were popular and I tried to not, I, I didn't want to finish the study and have somebody say, oh, you've, you've met, you missed this one kind of thing. Right. So I tried to get everything in there and it really settled on this on the hybrid hunter because um when i kind of look at everything and, and to me stability is kind of number one i need an accurate broadhead flight at long range but i don't want to have any of the other ones really be uh, inferior you know and the reason we went with the hybrid material is i actually saw even though i had the best stabilizing um it with that hybrid material it had less drag so i had less drop down range which which to me that's that's awesome. As much stabilizing, you know, the best stabilizing, no more drag than you need to for good long range flight. Um, and, you know, it was a bit quieter too. So, um, other veins, and I'm not going to point out like 
which vein has which problem. I just don't like basically bashing um, other companies. I think they all, um, I think these are all good veins. Um, some of them had, you know, one or two issues, one or two things I didn't like about them. You know, there's a couple that were, I don't know if they're kind of unstable, but the results would, would vary a lot with accuracy. Um, but, you know, there's basically through the study, I try to be, it's pretty unbiased because the university's doing it. I'm not running any of the study. These uh, students, seniors in mechanical engineering are running the study, taking the data and just presenting it, you know, pretty much unbiased. So looking at through that data um, and all the testing, you know, this hybrid hunter vein kind of shined is the best kind of all around there. Well, I won't mention any names of my findings, but everything that you listed, um, which I'm going to text you, what I found was the loudest uh, of what you tested. And when I, I again, there, there is, uh, when you say the loudest, it doesn't mean that it was like, you know, a peregrine falcon diving in, but you know, there was a noticeable difference because I tried all the ones you had mentioned except the saber vein. Uh, I didn't try that one or the, I think it's called the saber from Kyle. Um, I didn't, I didn't test that one, but I did test a couple Q2 eyes. Um, one of the things I used to be a huge four fletch guy and that's just all I put on. And then as time has gone on and I've gotten maybe more testing and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with four fletch. I'm not, there's a lot of guys, great luck with that. What I had found is generally they were a little more noisy with a four fletch profile and it wasn't worth doing four low profile four fletch for three, maybe higher profile, a little bit longer three fletch or adding helical and offset to a three fletch rather than getting the same noise with offset and straight with four fletch. Like, you know, again, we're talking pick and flush it out of chili here. But by the time it was said and done, as most people have seen, I end up hunting with three fletch and I'm testing four fletch a lot. I don't want to say across the board, I don't want to break the internet today, but it seemed to me four fletch was always louder, no matter what I did. And when I did a higher profile and silent night veins are good and, and blazer veins were the hybrid HPs. There's, those are all good veins. But when I did four fletch of those, they were louder. And, and, and I'm not saying it's a vein, maybe it's the four fletch, but they were louder compared to a flea, three fletch configuration. Am I talking up my ass or did you find the same thing? No, you're right. And that's why I'm more of a three fletch guy than a four fletch myself. And I've, I've done that testing in the past in sound testing along with it. And with, with the fourth, with the fourth vein, you get a third more drag and a third more sound. Um, so it becomes louder, even if it's a lower profile. Um, I looked at, you know, max stealth at one time, um, a three, three vein versus a four vein. And I could see, I could see I was getting more drop. Um, and I could see in the sound, you know, it was a third louder. So you add that other vein and that's what you're doing there. And you're getting a little bit, you, you may be improving stability a little bit, but to me, it's not enough to warrant it. And I think the most efficient thing I've, I've found is a, a three vein higher profile will give you um, really better stability than a four vein, slightly lower profile. Um, now, can, Tim Gillingham definitely. is going to have a heart attack because that's what I had found um, was the little, if you, and I'm, <clears throat> when I say this, and again, I, I don't want to interrupt, but I want to get your feedback on this. If I ran four, inch and three quarter moderate to high profile. 
in comparison, when I say moderate, we'll just we'll just say a two three hybrid. Um, in comparison to, let's say, a Max Hunter or or uh, something like that, in three flats with a little longer, I didn't notice any difference in stability that I could outshoot. Meaning at eighty yards, but what I did notice was it seemed like the four flats, unless I went so low profile the four fletch drifted more than the higher profile three fletch at longer distances in wind. And we've got videos, like I don't fake the funk, like we video this and you can see in high wind and you live in a windy area too. You know, I have the same kind of camera gear. You probably do. My, my camera fires at 45 frame per second and I can run extreme slow-mo. I almost wish I didn't watch that because some of my setups I had told people to use when I watched in slow-mo pretty much said I'm an idiot as I, as I watched the end outcome with the slow-mo video. Yeah. And you know, the, um, that's one thing I don't like about kind of the shorter, longer profile is that wind drift for wind drift, you kind of want to look at, well, what's the, if you looked at it from the side, what's that total kind of area, you know, if you, you just kind of drew an arrow from its side now, what's that total area that's probably going to predict wind drift pretty well. And, if you're shorter but longer, you're you're adding quite a bit of area, but you aren't getting that much stabilizing. And really through this fluid dynamic modeling, I we could see that it's that top, it's the top of the vein that gets all the pressure and the restoring force. And it, and the reason for that is that you get this boundary layer effect when the air flows over the arrow shaft. It's not going at full velocity when it's near the shaft. It, it's going slower near the shaft. This rel, you know, relative velocity. So the like the wind past the vein at the shaft is you know close to zero. The wind at the vein up at half inches, half inch up is 300 feet per second or whatever velocity you're going. But you know that first quarter inch or so, there's just not a lot of um, velocity there that's creating this pressure force to stabilize. So you're not you're not getting as much stability, but you still get the wind drift from it. Um, and you know, one thing I should say is like you mentioned, Tim Gillingham, if you're, if, if you're a professional shooter, your form is like excellent. Your bow is perfectly tuned. You don't need it, but you're not going to need as much stabilizing or forgiveness because there's not that much to forgive. Right. So, um, you know, pros can get by with a little shorter vein typically. Um, you know, if you look at, um, like Greg, Poole, he shot hundred yard, um, 100-yard Robin Hood with Iron Will S125s with, I think he had a three-fletch three max max stealth um, at maybe two degrees. And, and, and that stabilized pretty good. It's not the best, but it's it's enough. And it's an, certainly enough for Greg or somebody that is just a solid shooter with good form that can tune his bow well and shoot that far. Um, so, you know, that's part of it, too. I know people will listen to this and say, Hey, a short four fletch works fine for me, or this lower profile works fine for me. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not arguing that. If you've got a setup you love, it's a four fletch. I'm not going to talk you out of it. I'm trying to I'm trying to make what's going to work really well for 90% of the people out there. You know, if they just want to pick a vein that they know is going to shoot ironwood broadheads or another fixed broadhead well, um, this is what this study is all about: figuring out what what is that setup and just. Um, recommending it if you guys want to build it yourself or just you can buy it from us if you want to at this point. Well, the the one thing as far as um, 
like buying them from, you know, from, from you or, or pre-built. Uh, the one thing I would say, cause this was something when I had asked, you know, Bill, I'm like, Hey, can you send me some of these veins, um, separately, uh, just in case, you know, you're going to bang a vein up and refletch. You can get a Bitsenberger or a, a last chance vein master to pretty much, um, get really close to the same vein, uh, so the same configuration offset and everything else if you have to reflet. So I don't want people to think if they order two or three dozen arrows from Bill and they screw one up, they got to send it back in to get refletched. If you have a fletching jig, you can get it. And I already, you know, that was one of the first things I did when I got all the ones from you um, is uh, scratched one off and tried to mimic it just in case I had to refletch. And that that's important for, for people. But w- the, the one thing I really want to make certain people understand is if you are in a hurry like me, cause I have every fletching jig known to man. I just don't have time. Um, if you don't know what you're, you're, you're doing. And when I say don't know what you're doing, you never fletched arrows before. It is a very sim- simple system to uh, get this ordered and going. So I called and told Bill I'm 26 and a half carbon to carbon. Um, I need total, uh, for for me, um, I wanted 50 grains up front without the broadhead and a 125 grain head. So Bill did a 25 grain iron wheel hit, 25 grain collar, and then that's that's what I got. Um, you know when he when he sent it out, and so you don't have to build your arrow. You don't have to go to a pro shop. They come ready to go. If you do jack up one of your veins, Bill, I believe you're going to sell those veins separately. You can refletch it if you have a fletching jig, so you're not totally screwed, and you can mimic that fairly easy if you needed to, and it'll be close. Yep, yep, that's right. We will sell the veins also. Um, you know, Nick from AAE has been involved with the study from the beginning as well. He supplied, you know, ribbon material that we cut out different prototypes. Um, he made these hybrid hunter veins for me and we are, we'll be selling these as well. Um, so it'll be, you know, iron will, um, kind of, we have exclusive for using this hybrid material in the hunter veins, these iron will hybrid hunter veins, you'll be able to buy them on our website and yeah, replace a fletching it. You know, you shoot through an animal and, uh, you know, a bone takes the top of your fletching off or whatever. Um, you will be able to to replace it. Yes. So I did a video, a couple videos recently, you know, how I build uh, an arrow. I'm not going to dive into that too much because I glue everything in and, and that kind of freaks people out. But um, one of the things I talked about in the vein configuration with what you and I are talking about is, you know, people get really, really, really wrapped up in a lot of this. And, and uh, you know, I said, hey, when you're that freaked out about, you know, when you're trying to figure out on your own, the chances of somebody having enough time to go through five to seven different veins. Um, when I say veins, different high profile, low pro- profile, four fletch, three fletch, it's like SKUs. Next thing you know, you have, you know, if you did seven, 21 probably total setups by the time you're done screwing around that there's going to be one that kind of has the best of all worlds. And, uh, I, I will say during my testing for laziness, a 2.6 inch three fletch offset helical was what I had had the best of luck with shooting the 2.6 inch hybrid. I could get away with a two, three, but it didn't have the stability that I had wanted. The one reason I don't personally didn't shoot max hunters, but my wife did is I go through way more arrows than her and I'm lazy. But for stability and noise, that's why she has Max Hunters on hers was that was the best option. So when Bill told me, 
hey, what do you think of this? I did this, this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Because I, I just hate prep pins, right? And and I don't have time to do prep pins and wipes when you're doing five, six, seven dozen arrows. So when somebody orders, go through the process on your website of what they're going to do to get these going. Yeah, and I should mention a little bit about our um, custom build and what we're doing there. This is going to be different than really what anybody else is doing out there. I've, I've looked at all the kind of, you know, what you typically get at different archery shops, what all the kind of custom arrow builders are doing out there. And, and they're all really, for the most part, just copying what you get at a custom or what you get at a pro shop where they're using a, an arrow saw where you're kind of swinging an arrow, maybe rotating it, maybe doing a little squaring on it. But um, what we're going to do is we build a custom machine and you can almost think about it like, well, what if you finish your arrows in a, like a CNC machine where you can chuck up on it, very precisely cut it, square it um, to tolerances that are, you know, better than a thousandth of an inch. Um, cut and square both ends kind of perfectly. And this is something I've been working on for a while. I've really thought about, you know, what would be the, the perfect arrow. And to me, it's, well, get, get the vein machine attached at a precise angle every time. Um, and then cut and square both ends, you know, on essentially like a CNC machine where you, and, and this isn't exactly a CNC machine. It's a, it's, it is a machine that's kind of, kind of custom built, custom tooling, to do this exact process, but, um, it's, um, the, the ends are going to be squared probably 10 times better than what you're going to see anywhere out there. I'm, I'll have some data to kind of show this and you might ask, well, why does that matter? Um, well, um, you know, it might not, but if you have say, you know, on the, where your knocks pushing all this force through if, if one side of the arrow shaft is sticking out say five thousandths more than the other side as the knock pushed on it. And that's, that's going to be very typical, you know, just having these cut at an archery shop. Um, you know, all that force now is driving through one side of that shaft, and it's going to make it probably flex differently than the next arrow, or potentially could be, um, when maybe that all that force through the other side of the shaft or the top or the bottom. So it's to try and get that very uniform force to make that arrow, you know, kind of that arrow launch off your bow more consistent, one arrow to the next. So that's what it does on the knock end. On the other end, it's when you tighten down, you know, your broadhead to the end of the arrow, if, if things, um, if things are square and, you know, I really like our reinforced hit system there to, to align the broadhead shank to the ID of the arrow and then reinforce it, which we'll be installing on these arrows as well. But, um, if, if you're not square and you're tightening a broadhead down, especially if it's a cheaper made one where there's more tolerances, more clearances, it can pull it a little bit to one side and point that tip off in a direction where it's not going to spin through and make it go off. So anyway, it's something I've been wanted for a while, like a machine built finished arrow. Um, you know, they're not, it, it's basically done by a machinist on a machine. So it'll be, uh, I'm still working on the cost exactly. So, you know, it'll, it'll be somewhat expensive to have us build the arrows for you. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be pretty close to our cost, though. Um, but if you want to save the money and build them yourself, we're certainly happy to kind of explain how to do that. Or you can buy the flat shafts for a month, um, too, and just, you know, cut square, install components yourself there. So with um, I go, I want you to go into the the hit system a little bit more because I I had done a well, as extensive of a review as I've ever done on 
um, arrows and components. And I, did you listen to that, Bill, when I talked about uh, the the hit system was the thing that I came up with that, that was best? All the arrows are pretty good on the market. Like, y- it's hard to find a bad arrow, right? There's a, you know, there's a lot of good arrows out there. Um, the component system is where shit just tight tanks um, in a lot of different ways. And you and I had talked two or three years ago when we came up with the Snyder course system that hit technology um, and a caller, you have better uh, run out or concentricity uh, throughout. So anytime you're putting an outsert um, on an arrow, when Bill was talking about, you know, when you have the, the power stroke or the force behind the arrow, if it, you know, 27 inches on the other end of that arrow, that thing is off three to five thousandths. Um, out of the bow, it's already on a path. Uh, it's it's like a kid that's on a bad childhood. He's probably not going to come out straight unless he gets his shit together early. It's nothing is going to go better after that bow goes off when it's off a little bit where that hit technology, having it recessed concentricity is better throughout. Talk a little bit about the hit and the collar and where that kind of, in my opinion, stands out above the rest of the systems on the market today. Yeah, I really think that, you know, we've, I've used that system for years and I found kind of early on that that's going to do the best job of aligning your broadhead to the arrow because your, your shank, the shank of the broadhead goes down into the arrow, it aligns to the ID. So you've got the, you know, kind of the most accurate surface in the arrow and you got the datum surface really on the broadhead that everything's built concentric to. You mate those together and it's kind of guarantees it's going to spin true. Um, I was a big fan of the, the hit inserts. I started making these impact collars to go over them, which is either hardened steel or titanium to kind of reinforce it for hard impacts. Um, I worked with East End to license their patent um, on the hit inserts so I could make them in higher strength materials. And just done a lot of testing on outserts, half outs, and you really can't beat building that strength into the arrow. With, with a half outer outsert, you've got that lever arm out there and on a, on a side impact on a bone, say, it just amplifies that force, that bending force way up and it's way more likely to bend. And I, and I mean, we hear that all the time. I mean, especially the aluminum components, but um, you know, even most of the steel out there, it's not hardened steel, it's softer steel. I just haven't heard of a system out there yet where we don't have somebody come and complain that you know it hit something hard and it bent. Um, but building that strength into there where you've got the broadhead down in there, you've got, you know, hardened steel hit, you've got carbon fiber, and then you've got kind of hardened steel over it again. And it all can flex a little bit on impact. Um, you can do it with the hit epoxy or, you know, the, the system you, you know, the method you kind of came up with, which is put the hit on it first and hot melt the whole thing in there, man, that's great for impact as well at that, that, um, the Kimsha hot melt. We sell it now. Also, um, I believe it's, I believe it's the same as that Kimsha glue. Um, you know, Parsons archery kind of went away and we found the source and started selling it too, but it's got a bit of a, of a rubbery. Um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's not hard. It's not brutal like the old hot melts used to be. It's more flexible and that works really good on impact for people when, that want to go that route. When I first did that, people looked at me like I had horns growing out of my ass. Um, and I'm like, look, I've done this for a long, long time. Like I've always hot melted everything in and they're like, what? And I'm like, you don't heat the carbon, right? You, you can boil water and do it. I'm like, I, I can just touch, 
Um, you know, cause I glue broadheads in, I glue field tips in, I glue. And so what I had found like way back in the day when I glued in hits, you know, every now and then you'd have one that moved, something would go wrong, uh, with, with the hit and it wouldn't be perfect. And then, um, if I wanted to rotate anything, right. If I wanted to, to rotate the broadhead a little bit, I was pretty much screwed with that epoxy. Like I had no, the outcome of getting a two-part epoxied hit out without ruining the arrow is, is not great. Um, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to gamble on it. So then I'm like, I, I, at that time, uh, bonding, what do they call that? Uh, what's the bonding hot melt? Um, feral tight maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I used feral tight, which was okay, but not great. Well, then I started the Kimsha. I started using that in 16 from trad stuff. Right. And so I just glued everything in with hot melt and I don't heat the shaft. I heat the hot melt and then, you know, put it on the hit and then glue it in. And I don't think you were down with that initially either when I told you that I glued everything in. No, I thought uh, hot melt. I don't know because my experience with hot melt was, you know, I don't know, thirty years ago we used to glue knocks on with hot melt and inserts on with hot melt, but it was pretty brittle stuff. And um, I'm thinking I don't want to mess with that stuff. Um, but when you mentioned you were using it, and we started working on the Snyder core system, and you wanted a glue in, you know, option there. I, you know, I I actually got I don't know what it was, eight different hot melts all from different manufacturers out there and tested the the kind of pull out force with the different ones and um and then how they did on impact as well and i found um really a couple and we we ended up selling we now sell the best one but man that's really strong if you're bonding if you're gluing the whole thing in you're up in that you know 600 pound range to to try and pull that out um so it's you know it's not going to come out on impact it, it does a great job. Um, yeah, so I've come around to it. One nice thing with doing that is, um, like you said, if you want to change your setup next year and use a heavier hit insert or whatever, boil water, pull it out, and you can just start over with your arrow builds that way. So the one thing that, um, you know, being backpack hunter or whatever, and I use like a cash bar offset thing from Option Archery, and you can, it looks like a muffler, kind of actually looks goofy as shit, but I have a repair kit in there with some broadheads. So let's say I need to swap out, um, you know, a broadhead that I've glued in. Um, use, like you said, boiling water. You can just take your reactor, boil some water, put it in there, or I'll just take a lighter and heat up the base of the the bad broadhead. It only takes a second put it over my reactor quick. And I'm talking a second, unscrew it, screw another broadhead in. I think people, when they hear that gluing everything in, it's like, it's permanent. It's actually far less permanent than the two part epoxy version, you know, or, or option you have. The, the other thing, you know, while we're talking about this, um, the, the testing I had done where I ended up with axis hit insert, uh, type of technology and the, in the, in the collar, um, when I went through and tested all of these different, um, you know, systems and I was going through veins, components, arrows, when you were talking about impact with different options, I have that, uh, revolution arrow tuner that, uh, last chance, uh, archery T-bone came up with. And so what I was doing was shooting steep angle, high wind shots where it would hit a uh, target at a steep angle and have some, wobble some of the components that come from the factory 
I would test they would be 001 on the first shot after one impact in a high wind uh, into a steep angled target. They would be off three to five thousandths from one bad impact. When I say bad impact, I'm not talking about hitting the leg. I'm just talking about in foam wobbling around. It, it was um, yeah. it was an eye opener for me because it was worse than I thought. I actually got a little bit of hate from some of the different component manufacturers because I was just like, guys, like think about it. If you're trying to shoot a, a fixed blade broadhead and you've got, you know, a lot of guys just shoot their practice tips, then screw in fixed. Um, it's just not conducive to accuracy. And with that hit technology, you're far, far ahead even being able to just do that, unscrewing and screwing something else back in. Yeah, the, the components that come with kind of free with arrows are, you know, worth what you paid for them. They're, they're cheap materials. They're, um, you know, they, what, and I've talked to a number of the arrow manufacturers. They, they focus a lot on the target market, target archery guys. And, you know, a lot of people are buying their arrows for target archery. So why put a bunch of extra cost into the, components if that guy doesn't you know what why raise the price for everybody kind of for the smaller percentage of guys that are you know hardcore hunters that want this to really hold up um is is kind of the way they see it but yeah you know hard, even the 3d targets hit a hard spot and spending a lot of those those outserts there and in that um that broadhead you know bender thing that um, where you can kind of look at see how it runs out and bend it back straight Man, I can tell you from 25 years of designing components, assemblies, and seeing when somebody bends something, it's <laughs> it doesn't. If you just if you bend, if you take a mechanical multi-part mechanical assembly and bend it to get something straighter, uh, you just you just weakened it. You just kind of change the clearances in there, but it takes almost no force to bend it right to end up going right back to where it was. So you might bend it straight, spin it and say, Oh, now the point's right on. Just shoot it in the target one and go measure that again. And it's going to be off. It's going to be back where it was. So man, if you're, if you're buying stuff, that's not straight. That's the problem right there. You, you kind of have junk and then trying to bend it straight and then saying, Oh, now I'm good. You're, you're fooling yourself there. Um, and I, I, I actually feel like, an ironwood broadhead with the right arrow setup, the right vein, um, properly spined for your bow. And we're going to, I should say, we're going to have arrow charts too. We, like every, every weight combination you can have of, of head component, hit insert. And, um, you know, to choose your spine properly, that's kind of matched to these arrows and these components. So people can do a good job of picking the proper spine. But I feel like, Ironwood broadheads with great concentricity, you know, using the reinforced hit system, the right vein on the back, these are going to shoot more accurate than a lot of the mechanicals just because the point isn't on straight. You know, there's some wobble to them. Your arrow setup might not be, you know, ideal. You think you can get by with a less vein or whatever. You know, I think using the, the ironwood broadhead with the right vein, you're going to see probably better accuracy than what you're seeing with those heads. Yeah, I would uh, actually, I would agree with that. And, and as everybody knows, I'm a, I'm a mechanical fix guy. I'll do, I'll shoot both. Um, I, I would say I want to put a little more context into what Bill says, or maybe reform it into my own, uh, my own words. If you went right now and bought a standard 
aero component system. I'm not going to bring up any names and screwed a mechanical broadhead on there with a less accurate kind of in and out of the shop system compared to what Bill is offering now with a fixed iron wheel and the iron wheel hit component system. Uh, I would agree 100% that most of the time the iron wheel system with this fletching configuration is going to be more accurate than what you're buying off the shelf with a mechanical. And when I say I agree 100%, I've, I've tested that which is when I went down that path of the components and everything else, just because you have a mechanical on does not mean field point accuracy, especially at long distance. And uh, you can see on some of the mechanical broadheads out there when you screw them on, and I'm sure you've tested it, I've seen some up to like 9, 10, 11, 12 thousandths out out of the gate and and somebody no that's the component and it's like well as a matter of fact it is not because i tested the component but generally the component and the broadhead are both bad and so if the components go in hook and left and the broadheads hook and right you basically have a u or an s coming off the end of your arrow one's bent one way one's bent the other and you'll probably have decent accuracy maybe at 30 and 40 or decent enough but where you really start to notice it is when you go to shoot a group, you'll have a high right, low left, straight low, one in the middle, because every one of them is different. One component may be curving out to the right, one may curving down, up, and you don't have that with what Bill was just talking about with that system. So I'd agree 100%. The other day when I was shooting, and I was shooting um, Iron Will uh, 125 solids, um, severs, a uh, few other different broadheads, I was dot for dot at 80 with straight out of the bow, it was already tuned. And I put 125s on um, standard solids and they hit dot for dot at uh, 80. And they were actually fairly close at 90. At 100, there was a little bit of drop, but still good grouping. And that's, I think you found sometimes you can get them to hit out to 100 on a on a solid. Usually 80, especially with this vein cr- cr- uh, configuration you have now, um, I don't have any issue with 80 with this system. I've said this before and then people will call me and say, I'm using brand X and it's not, I'm not getting that. Talk a little bit about getting fixed blade broadheads to hit standards or wider at longer distances where the big issues come from when you have a shotgun spray pattern when people try that. Yeah. You know, they're, they're going to be less forgiving when you got you know, blaze on the front. If you think about that arrow being tipped a little tail right and that airflow going over the, the blades in the front, it's going to want to kind of keep pushing it off. And you know, that's the reason why it really matters what veins you have on the back to kind of pull it back. Um, but everything, you know, everything becomes a little more sensitive then. You want a, you know, component system that aligns the head well so it's, you know, stays on target. You want to have enough angle. And that's why we do a three degree, I think two and a half, three degree works well to get some rotation to kind of average out any asymmetry there. And um, that thing is, is properly spined. I think, you know, what we did, I don't know if you know the uh, Bailey, Bailey cloud works, works for me has for about a year now and does a lot of our tech support. She's awesome. And what we did is to make these aerial charts is, you know, ran every one of these, um, you know, hundreds of different setup conditions through a, you know, software through spine calculator to pick, okay, what's the ideal spine going to be for you with your, you know, draw length, 
total weight up front. Um, we've got the charts from 125 up to 250, which it's really hard to find charts out there that give you all these options. And that's that's total, total weight up front. So it's um, the lightest we go is like 100 grain broadhead, um, 15 grain titanium hit, 10 grain titanium collar. You'll have 125 grains up front. So we'll have a chart there that you can, you can look down the side, pick your um, arrow length, and it's going to tell you what shaft we're going to offer. Um, at least initially here, we'll have 260 spine, 300 spine, 340 spine axis. So, you know, it's important um, to have a properly spined arrow so you're not getting too much flex. It, it doesn't matter as much, say, with a field point, but when you have a fixed blade broadhead on there and you have this excessive flexing back and forth with the arrow, it's going gonna, it's gonna to open up your groups. So these things just become more, more critical. Um, and, you know, the, the tuning your bow is important. I'd, I'd encourage people to make sure their bow is tuned. And typically, if somebody comes to us and says they're having problems with their fixed blade, you know, hitting well, we can talk them through the things to check. And it's, it's usually the bow's out of tune or they're improperly spined or not enough vein on the back. Um, the way that I really like to check the, the, the tune, um, you know, and we get a lot of guys that say, well, you know, the bow was paper tuned when I bought it a year ago at the shop where I got it. Well, the tune matters a lot. It, it, it changes the tune a lot with who's holding a bow and how you put pressure on that um, grip. And I really see this in our hooter shooter testing. You know, a bow that I've tuned perfectly for me, we've got to retune for the hooter shooter just because the pressure's different there. Um, anyway, a, a test I like to do, you know, you can, you can shoot through paper at, you know, 12 feet, see what that looks like. But what I like to do is, uh, take a pair shaft. Um, what I'll often do is, you know, if I'm building up a certain arrow setup, I'll take one, cut, just cut the veins off flush. So the, the foot is still there. You still have a lot of the weight of the vein. Um, you can't even like put a little piece of steel duct tape maybe on the back if you want to if your anal and body want to get exactly the same weight as your other arrows, but I found that typically just cutting the veins off is, is close enough. And then shoot that bear shaft versus a flat shaft, just with field points on it. It's say 20, 20, 30 yards. I do like 20, 30, 40, but I think at 30 yards and do it a few times. Cause if your if your grip's not consistent, if your form's not consistent, it's going to vary a lot. But if you, if your bow's tuned, that flat shaft and bear shaft should hit pretty close together. You know, say at 30 yards, they should be within an inch or so. They should be kind of parallel or hitting together. What you're going to see if it's out of tune, say it's going tail right. Well, that flutch vein doesn't get corrected. It just stays tail right and it's going to hit left. And you'll see it if you're shooting at a kind of a uniform foam type target, you'll see that it's, it's at an angle in the target too. So I feel like, that's kind of the best check. And, and if I'm working with a customer, I'll say, just do this for me. Just shoot a bear shaft, flesh shaft at 30. Tell me if they're hitting together, hitting parallel or not. To me, that that's a great check to see, is your bow really tuned or not? And if it's not, it's been your bow setup. It's, it's pretty easy to get that kind of adjusted, get that centered. But get your bow tuned. And then with this arrow set up, I think you're going to just be money with, with accuracy with these heads. Yeah, and, and that was the one thing, like, 
I'll make sure people understood, obviously, as if they order it with what you're what you're doing with the, you know, squared on both ends, the fletching configuration, plus, you know, your component system, um, you know, with the recessed hit type system, um, you're just going to be in a lot better shape. And and there's several people I know that have do- dove down the, the wormhole of, you know, broadheads. And I mean, it is confusing. You know, you have the, the high FOC guys and, you know, you have... Um, it just goes on and on and on. Um, I, I, when people go and I get this question a, a ton, obviously, uh, Bill owns iron will. I have not convinced him to make a hybrid, uh, broadhead, obviously a huge fan of, of fixed blades when you, you know, there's no doubt. And, and I do shoot mechanicals. There's no doubt the safe bet is going to be a fixed blade broadhead. And when I, when I say that, um, and I'm, I'm not bashing either system. Pulling a mechanical broadhead out of a quiver can be open at times. And when I, when I say that, like guiding, whatever else, they push the broadhead too hard into the quiver. When they pull it out, it's unclipped off a little plastic clip thing or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's no matter what you're shooting, whether that's uh, iron wheel wide, a mechanical or whatever, the tune matters and people get wrapped up around things that maybe aren't as important uh, nowadays than what is. Accuracy is key. And this system is going to give you the best accuracy no matter no matter what. Um, B- Bill, I don't know how many like the tuning questions you're talking about, like with bear shafts and things like that. We're starting to make more videos about this as far as tail right, tail left. Is it my, do I need to shim my cams or am I, is my arrow spine too weak? Uh, things like that. How much are you guys having to dive into that type of stuff on, uh, on the actual tuning, shimming cams, yoke tuning, you know, that, I mean, is that, is that Bailey's full-time job? Um, what's going, what, how, how much of a pain is that? Cause I know how much I ask that, answer those questions. Yeah, we spend a lot of time to help people with their with their bow setups, and, and that's fine. If you guys want to call in and uh, talk to Bailey, she she's awesome. You know, she was a competitive archer. I think she was on the podium for every event for a few years there. She worked at a bow shop, setting up bows, tuning bows, giving archery lessons. Um, you know, worked for Knock On Archery for a while, building arrows there. Um, she, um, yeah, she's and, and she's a she loves bow hunting. Her and her husband, so. She's, she's a great resource and, and she can talk people through these, uh, you know, how to get your bow tuned more, more or less we're, um, you know, recommending these are the, you know, we've got a list of these are the things to check to see that it might be a problem. And if, you know, there's some other things that can happen too. Like I recently, maybe last summer, I saw an issue where I was just getting arrested, rebounded too much after the shot it would occasionally clip a vein, um, and some of the stiffer veins, were were getting thrown off but like the hybrid hunter was still shooting accurately at 100 yards i'm like what is going on here and um you know what i found out i did a high-speed video and saw that my rest was rebounding and clipping the flange once in a while so there's some other things like that that can happen too even if you're totally tuned in the aerospines properly um you know there's some other kind of more unusual things that, that can happen to you but um yeah it's you know we're happy to try and help people out um you, you can, depending on what your bow is, the, the right way to tune it is different. Um, you know, but I do like to kind of leave the rest at nominal, try to shim cam or yoke tune, depending on what your bow is to get close. And then, you know, after um bear shaft, kind of bear shaft tuning, just getting things 
just dialed. That's when I start moving the rest a small amount. Gotcha. Well, obviously we've talked about this a, a decent amount. What are some of the other kind of, for, for those who maybe aren't as familiar with your options that you have from broadheads, components, the knives, things like that, uh, kind of give a, you know, the, the down and dirty of, of what you have, what you're offering, um, you know, through iron will. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just, uh, one thing I wanted to mention before we get off the arrows is, you know, why do we choose the Eastern axis arrow? I'm sure we'll get that question. And I've tested a lot of arrows, um, over the last few years from, and, the, and I think the major manufacturers, um, they all make pretty good arrows. Um, when, the thing I like about the axis, you know, it's, it's made in the USA. Um, I, I've got a relationship with the engineers there. So actually there's actually our engineers at the company that I can talk to and dig into the details. You know, I like to technically understand things completely, you know, before I sell them. And so I like that I can understand their process. I can talk to some engineers, um, when I'm seeing things, you know, bounce them off them, things like that. The process they use is a little different. It's, it's an extrusion or pultrusion, they call it. So they're controlling the ID and the OD size as these are made. Um, which is different than how most most arrows are made um, with these kind of pre-pregged sheets of carbon fiber where they they cut out this like they cut out a long kind of rectangle of it and it wraps around a mandrel so you've got a seam so you know the properties if you think about something with a seam in it your properties mechanical properties won't be the same all the way around so I'd say just inherently that is going to give you maybe more variation in spine or it could so you know, I like the process. I like the, um, I've got the engineering. I think there's good engineering that you know, has been around a hundred years. Um, like they're a solid company. I like the fully carbon version, um, you know, of arrow. I know that that's some aluminum in there. You can actually probably improve spine consistency, straightness, but I want something that's going to hold up well to impact and, and not bend. So that's why I like the full kind of like a full carbon arrow. Um, and just, you know, I've looked at, I've measured straightness, spine consistency on a lot of these. Um, and I should mention, we're going to sell match grade and, and standard axis, but you know, those two are made on the same machine. It's not like they set up to make them differently. Um, they just, they just screen at a tighter tolerance on overall straightness. Um, but, you know, with our setup, the way we're going to build these, we're going to be checking, we're going to be looking at straightness kind of on each end. So even just the standard axis with the 3000 straightness, if that's over the length of the shaft, and the ends look good, um, you know, I don't know if it's worth the extra money for the match grade, to be honest. I mean, we're going to, we're going to sell either one if you want it, but I think that just the standard axis, uh, is a great arrow, um, you know, for, for the hunter with our reinforced hit system on the front, it's, it's pretty bomb proof. I've, I've shot arrows over and over through animals. Um, and you know, I can keep using them. Yeah. Um, and I did a full, you can check it out on Kafaro YouTube page. I did a full um, kind of review of multiple arrows and and why I ended up with the the axis. Um, the arrow's great. The component uh, portion of it is a big part of it. Uh, you know, with the hit system and then obviously the collar for durability. Um, with uh, without diving into that too much more. I, I will re, rehash and reiterate what but there are a lot of good arrows on the market. It's hard to find a, a bad arrow. The biggest thing was the total package for me. And when I looked at it of, okay, somebody building their own arrows, 
what's going to be the most consistent if they have a limited amount of knowledge um, and getting the broadhead to, to hit, things like that. The arrow squaring portion, obviously, with Bill's offering, he's fixing that, making sure the arrows are square. But, you know, in in the end, um, when you take um, an eastern axis, you, you have an iron wheel hit in the collar. Um, I would say that I would be more than willing, go to your local pro shop, um, test components, uh, spin them, check them. Like you will see very, very quickly that that system outperforms anything else on the market relatively quickly. Um, and I'm not saying that other systems are bad, just saying you put a hit insert in and test it against multiple other component systems. You're going to find that tolerances are greater. The concentricity is better and the overall durability is far better than 99% of the other options on the, the, the market. Um, and, and that doesn't include putting in your, you know, your broadhead and your, you know, your broadheads at this point. So you offer, um, standard vented standards, or when I say standard, um, but a, a vented and a, and a solid and a standard width, a vented and a solid wide, you double bevel, single bevel, um, double, single with bleeders, double with no bleeders. What am I forgetting? You offer pretty much everything. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Our, our original V-series vented, our um, S-series, which is just a solid blade, double bevel. Um, and we do that with bleeders or without. And um, yeah, then we went with a wide and we have a wide vented or a wide, wide solid there. And yeah, single bevels become very popular out there. And we do a single bevel with a single bevel bleeder. Um, so it you know, kind of rotates and opens up almost a square hole um, through the hide. And, you know, that's been really popular. So, yeah, we and we offer from 100 grains up to 250. So, um, man, I, I've heard com- other companies complain about adding SKUs and I wonder what's the big deal. And now that, uh, now that we've got so many SKUs, I understand what you're saying. Um, <laughs> but, SKU yeah, sucks. Um, yeah, and we so yeah we offer the broadheads, we um, do the components, hit inserts in 15, 25, 50, 75, 100 grain for either standard or micro diameter arrows, and then our, our impact collars um, in eight different sizes to try and kind of fit any arrow you want to use there. Um, our knives, I make a couple of ultralight hunting knives. Um, knife itself is just one ounce. Use the same steel heat treat process is our blades because I found I can get excellent toughness, have a little thinner through the spine and be, you know, about half the weight of a lot of the, um, like I think like the Benchmade altitudes, maybe 1.8 ounces. And this is just one ounce. If you look at the skeleton knife and we've added, you know, a G10 handle, Kydex sheet. And we just came out with this pack attached sheet that we worked with you guys on. Um, that is handy. The release of shit. That I, as well. Yeah. I will say that the, uh, that attachment is very, very handy, super conducive to, I don't carry it on my shoulder strap, um, but, you know, I attach it to my belt, my pack somewhere, and it makes it to where you can attach it to just about anything. And then you also offer um, field tips, obviously multiple weight, different uh, hit uh, inserts, uh, multiple weight uh, collars, um, as well as bore brushes, things like that, um, you know, on your on your website. Yep, we, yep, we do. Ironwalloutfitters.com. Yeah. Uh, so and the, one thing, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say a few things I forgot to maybe mention on the arrows. We're kind of wrapping up here. We're gonna we're gonna sell the uh, 
if you buy a dozen, you know, custom built, we're going to ship those in a travel case, you know, pretty nice plastic um, tube with an end cap and um, the foam inserts and rod down the middle to where you can use it for, you know, travel, hunting, backpacking in, whatever. It holds a dozen arrows with veins and broadheads pretty nicely. Um, what do you think about that? Or we sent the last arrows to you in those cases. Yeah. And I, I, was excited enough. I about did a video right when I got them and you said not hold off on the video, but don't post it yet till you were ready. But I'll kind of give the rundown of the pros and well, there's no cons, the pros of this. So when you get the system, depending obviously if you order, you know, the fletched squared and pre-built. So um, they'll have, it's a very durable, it's the best arrow tube I have found with the uh, 12 shooter, uh, revolving cylinder looking thing with the foam, the stick going through it and the foam on both ends, uh, very protective of the veins. They don't get smushed up, uh, in this hard case. The cool thing about that is that is also what I use for later on when I go into the back country for my backup arrows. But you, you've got that case when you pull it out, obviously me being, um, you know, I test everything. So I wanted to check, um, the accuracy of you guys squaring it. I checked both ends. I put them on my system. And what was, you know, cool, obviously, is in this case, it was cold as shit in my house. So I was able to pull those out right away, screw on multiple broadheads, uh, fling away, and start doing my testing of the veins. That system is ready to go in that hard case. That hard case is super cool um, or tube. And I don't know where you found that because I've looked forever because you always get those shitty ones that most that you find and they wear holes in them easy. That thing is super conducive for traveling. So you have the bonus of getting that as well. But it was it was cool. I mean, I I, I liked it. Um, where t- how long did it take you to find that case? Because everyone I've found sucks. Yeah, I've, I've gotten a lot of them. anymore but it adds stiffness and strength to it and yeah i've been throwing this throwing this in my you know yeti duffel when i fly into alaska or whatever just for some spare arrows or backpack you know if i backpack in i'm going to do a really long trip and and want to have extra arrows to you know in case things get western out there and (laughs) and i shoot i don't really i don't really run out of arrows now that i quit kind of shooting grouse and other other critters up there but um Man, it certainly happens in Texas. I can go out for a deer hunt and get into a herd of hogs and all of a sudden my quiver's empty and there's animals all over the place. But yeah, yeah when you need extra arrows along, it's nice just to have a travel kit full of them sitting there for you. No, for sure. So, okay, so the one question, which we can edit this out if you want, and I got this, I counted, I think, eight times yesterday on the Q&A. Are you ever going to make a mechanical broadhead? That got asked a lot on my Q and A yesterday, and we can edit this out if you don't want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, you know, we could talk about it. I, uh, you know, I designed mechanisms for other companies for years, so I, I, I feel like I could, I could make one that's probably, um, or they would be more reliable, you know, better materials, things like that than the current offerings. It's just the more I look at them and test them, and I just see that. Um, and, and I watch videos of them, you know, hitting animals, hitting ribs and man, just the action of opening up. It, it's just, um, it's such a crap shoot, you know, for sure. You're going to get less penetrate. Well, most of the time you're going to get less penetration 
And occasionally you're going to get just horrible penetration, the way they have to open up and the way the blades flex because they're so long and thin. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of videos where they just hit a rib and it just totally maybe changes the direction they're going or just stops them. Um, you know, shoulder blades is crapshoot too. People will say, I've got enough energy. I don't need to worry about a shoulder blade. Um, you, you might be right. You know, maybe three out of four times it's going to work for you. But the, just that impact and the way it has to open up and flex, it's just, um, and, and like you said, there's other failure modes. They, it could come, it could pop open when you pull it, pull it out or get some brush. Um, it could not open up. Um, so I, I have a hard time justifying or, you know, sell company customers. I, I know I'd make it a lot of money on it. I mean, no doubt there people want it, they'd buy it. But um, man, the reason that I started this company is I want to develop the best products to make me a better bull hunter and, and help other people. And I, I don't want to sell something that I don't think is better than our current offerings. And, and I really, you know, we, we could debate through this, but man, if you want a bigger hole and you're shooting up close, man, shoot our wide. Um, that's got two and an eighth inch total cut. It's going to get you a completely through hole. And I bet, I bet it's probably going to bleed more than, um, than a mechanical um because their edges are kind of dull by the time they get through hide and and they might not go all the way through well they might i mean they might that's the thing is they can be like you you can you get one shot and they're amazing wow look at the look at the hole look at the blood everywhere and then you can have them just fail miserably so it's just it's just risky and i don't want to i don't want to risk something like that um so anyway long story short is that's why i haven't convinced myself yet that it's it's um really needed or worth doing. So nothing, nothing in the works right now. Gotcha. No. And I tried, um, what last year, right before I went and shot my elk, we sat down for probably two and a half hours and, and, uh, I tried then and I totally failed. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, and I mean, obviously I'm a, a big, uh, proponent, uh, you know, of everything that you offer and I do shoot, you know, mechanicals and fixed, um, the, the components and everything else. And obviously you're somebody that actually listens, uh, which is super cool whenever we shoot the shit and give me your feedback, um, which has always been super nice. So definitely, you know, check out the website and I'm a big fan of what you're going to be offering with these, uh, arrows. It simplifies my life because I can just send guys to you. Uh, especially somebody that's like, Hey, I'm one of those guys that I'm doing fine financially. I just want to order four dozen arrows at the beginning of the year that are already built. Um, you know, that's a good way to, good way to do it. Cause they, they come, um, squared, ready to go fletched all that. So you, you don't have to do you know any effort and they're ready to roll right when they, when they get to your house. So. Yeah. You know, some guys love building arrows and, you know, if you love it, keep, keep at it, keep doing it. Um, you know, some people just like to have that, you know, this is an arrow I've, I built, I fletched that kind of thing. And yeah, I'm, I'm totally understand that. Cool with that. And, you know, I think I was that way at one point and now I just, um, I don't care if I ever flesh another arrow. I just want it, you know, perfectly. I'd rather have a machine do it perfectly and just get it and, and go hunting. Um, but you know, some people have more time and want to, want to spend time at it. And that's cool. And, and I would say, Aaron, yeah, I appreciate everything you do and the feedback you give me. If you're, if you're seeing something different from what I'm seeing, it always makes me rethink, you know, what's, what's going on here and dig into it deeper. And, um, you know, there's not that many guys that are bow hunting year round, use killing a lot of stuff and, you know, seeing what's really working out there. So I always, I always appreciate, um, feedback from you on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, no problem. It's always, it's always fun. So, um, 
Well, cool. Well, man, when did you you gonna release this next Thursday? You said next to when was it? Uh, next Tuesday, which is I think like March fourteenth. Um, so it, if, I don't know when you're gonna air the podcast exactly, but um, if you air it that day, it'll be the same. same okay. Time. Perfect. So if anybody has any questions, feel free free, you can get a hold of me, obviously get a hold of Iron Will. Um, It's not like I've been using this system for years, but the fletching I have and obviously the the axis I have. And so it's a super easy thing for me to screw around with and and test. And I'm I'm really glad you did the Max Hunter with the hybrid vein, Uh, you know, no prep pin for guys that just want to buy that vein or, or buy the system and then fletch them yourself. But it also is super handy that you've got the ability to have those fletched coming out of the gate. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I think people are going to like it. Yeah. 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 I do too. It's really what I've been wanting and working on for years and getting a lot of science behind what we're offering. And yeah, I think, I think people are going to like it. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks again for hopping on and, um, I'm sure Jerry will get a hold of you for whatever we need as far as some photos, videos for the release, uh, of the podcast for the, the arrows and everything. So I appreciate that. And thanks for everybody for tuning in. Yeah, we'll show some of that, that CFD modeling and, you know, rotating arrow rotating around the, the, uh, air rotating around the broadhead and arrow and some really cool kind of, uh, videos and images from all that modeling. We'll, We'll try and post those to our Instagram story the day this comes out. If people want to jump on and kind of see what that that looks like, it's uh, it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty amazing what we can get out of that computer model these days. Now that'll be that'll be cool for people to check out. So, all right, cool, Bill. I'm gonna go. Uh, time for a pee break. I will give you a call after a while here. Make sure we get everything set up for release of the podcast. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you, Aaron. Yep. Bye.